Welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and oh my goodness, I love today's episode for so many reasons. Today's guest has an important message about making decisions. You know, I find myself justifying and rationalizing a lot, but this leader took a very different approach. She made an executive decision with the information she had at the moment and with a lot of courage, stood up to a challenging leader and learned a lot about herself in the process. Valerie Younger is the chief people officer at Quantcast, but what you really need to know about Valerie is how and why she stayed so calm throughout this very challenging experience. She says taking a defensive position is never helpful in heated situations. Listen in as we talk about doing the right thing and prioritizing the culture in the process. Her story is one we can all learn from. Check it out. It's been a very haphazard journey for me through through the years in terms of, you know, landing in a career in human resources. I'd never really kind of envisioned doing that. Um, going to school, I actually started life out as a writer or journalist, uh, more specifically. And then my first work in corporate after sort of deciding that I didn't really want to be a journalist was as a technical writer. And eventually I became an HR manager of a, a large company that had offices, uh, headquartered back east that had an office here in California. So I just didn't really know anything about HR until I landed in that job. I was I was lucky to have a great mentor in the company who taught me the ropes. And it really interestedly, in, in instantly interested me because of the variety of the work and the multiple ways that HR impacts the business. So I sort of decided at that point, ooh, I really like this kind of work. And I um, decided to pursue it, but I sort of made a decision that I wanted to have an advanced degree to be more marketable and just because I just enjoy going to school. And so decided that maybe I'll just go to law school and could potentially end up in a career where I advise employers on on how to do it right and, and uh, you know, write policies and procedures that enable the business and, and those kinds of things. So I did go to law school, successfully graduated, ended up in an employment law practice, and you know, didn't really like it. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> bottom line is I, I was actually in a litigation practice, and, you know, litigation is basically trying to explain the unexplainable after it's occurred. It was not anything that I that I really enjoyed doing, which is, you know, let's let's partner together. Let's figure out a way to get this done right, minimize the risk to the company while at the same time enabling your strategy. I did nothing, none of that, right? I was basically sending out requests for documentation and doing depositions and just was not my speed and certainly not something that I was interested in. So I ended up just sort of giving up on practicing law and going back into HR and I've never looked back since then. So I was, I've been lucky in my career to have some great mentors along the way, some great partners, both in a CFO role and in a CEO role. And the rest is history. Listening to you, I'm reminded of that quote, life is not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. It sounds like through a series of experiences, you really found a place that you could flourish. Yeah, that is a great quote. And I, you know, it's it's interesting that you bring that up, Andrea, because I, I'm oftentimes asked by young professionals in the HR 
profession. Oh, you know, how do I become you? What do I need to do? What kind of next role should I have? And it feels to me like the next generation wants to have it exactly plotted out, you know, step by step, year by year. And it's life, right? And things happen. And I think you need to kind of just go with the flow from time to time. You need to have a plan, but be willing to throw the plan out the window and stay curious and open to opportunities as they come your way. Isn't that true? Yeah, I'm such a believer that life is always working with us, you know, giving giving us the experiences, the opportunities that we need. You know, our role is to have our eyes open, as you say, and be paying attention for those opportunities when they when they come about. Exactly. And not be scared to step into an area of the business that you might not be that familiar with and say, hey, tell me how you're doing this. Tell me what you do on a daily basis and and how can I help you? And just, you know, a lot of the problems that we tackle in business from an HR perspective are common sense. So open mind, asking lots of questions. I think that's such a good point. Well, and so it's fun that you call it this haphazard journey. You know, today you are leading at a chief people officer level. You know, you you had this journalism background and then through a series of experiences and trying things. And I love the story about going to law school, but then realizing pretty quickly, like, okay, this is not my jam. I don't like this. You wanted to be more proactive. But, but isn't that so important? Those learning what you don't like as well is such an important part of the process. Exactly. And it's funny, right? Because I really enjoyed law school and I hated practicing law. I really hated it. And, you know, that's that's hard, right? You've invested so much time and so much money in getting this degree. And now you're ready to just like throw it out the window and do something different with it. You know, it was, you know, I, I don't mind saying, but I had a sort of a little midlife crisis, right? Oh my God, what is Valerie going to be? What is she, she going to do for a living? And I just... I was lucky to have chosen, you know, MBAs, going to law school. There's so many ways to apply those degrees uh, outside of the actual profession of practicing law that, you know, I actually don't regret having done that. It teaches you a way of thinking that's actually quite helpful in business. Yeah, I've heard that a lot from people with law degrees is like learning how to learn is such an important part of that process, like you said. Well, I know you had this experience recently. You manage a peer circle for women and you did this exercise recently on pivotal moments. And so it was fun when you and I first connected, Valerie, because I was sharing with you, you know, that the focus of this show is around pivotal moments because they teach us so much about ourselves and our leadership. And you you had immediately a pivotal moment that you that you highlighted and shared. Yes. It was a very stressful, pivotal moment for me. So this, just to, to, to give you context on the time frame, this is uh, on the day of 9-11. I was a VP of human resources in a company. That was my first VP role. Um, so every other executives on the executive team was much more tenured than me and much more experienced than I was. But on the day of 9-11, when the first plane hit Um, The North Tower, I think, was the first tower that was hit. Uh, I apologize if I get that wrong, but I was in the car driving to the office. And once I arrived to the office, there were uh, people, you know, watching TV and seeing the tower on fire. And actually, we were able, we, we actually witnessed the second plane hitting the other tower. And at that point, 
I don't remember if you remember back in those days, I'm dating myself actually, but you know, people thought it was a small aircraft at first that had hit the tower. And from the look of it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then once the second plane hit the other tower, then it was clear that those were jumbo jets hitting those towers. And then people really started pivoting from this is an accident, tragic accident to, oh my gosh, we are under attack. And that's when we started hitting the phones, right? Because we had an office in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, we did know people and have people domiciled in New York. And uh, we were just scrambling to try to identify where is everybody. And that's when the notion of the the thought process of, oh my goodness, where is our CEO? Because he was visiting customers in New York that week. And I was pretty sure that he was actually in one of the tower, but I couldn't remember if he was still there or if he was there the day before, because you remember 9-11 was a Tuesday. So let me just back up because there's a couple of questions at this point. I love how you're playing this out for us. But so were you were in the office watching this with employees? Yes, with employees on the floor. And remember, this is not, you know, this is pre-cell phones. So not everybody's getting these feeds on their computers. You didn't know what was going on at that point. Exactly. We just happened to have a couple TVs in the space. This was pretty progressive at the time. Right. <laughs> it's funny to think of that uh, as progressive. <laughs> but we turned on to the news. And, you know, so all of us were, the TVs were in the break room at the time in the cafeteria, the cafe. And, you know, we were all just riveted, right, watching the news coverage of this tragic, tragic event in New York. So at that point, were you like, oh my goodness, our CEO is there? Or did that come later? I don't remember when it started dawning on me that our our CEO was in New York. I think it's when when we started sort of trying to hit the phone after the second plane hit and we realized, oh my God, this is a terrorist attack. And then there were other planes, if you recall, that were not responding to to towers. And so we didn't know where the next one was going to hit. It was quite stressful and people were very were scared. And and that's when it dawned on me, wait a second, I think our CEO is in New York. Okay. Wow. That must've been really scary, scary for you. I'm usually, I usually was pretty in tune with his travel plans, but I couldn't remember. I knew for sure he was there on Monday. I didn't know if he was staying a second day or if he was uh, flying out on the second day. And then there's all the questions of, what plane is he on? Are these, is this one of the planes that just landed in the tower? I mean, and we did have cell phones, not smartphones, but cell phones at the time. And of course, the circuits were jammed and nobody could get a hold of anybody. So here you are. And you said this is your first VP position. How long had you been in that executive role? I had been with the company for some time, but probably not in the VP role for, I would say, about maybe a year, a year and a half. Okay, in the VP role, but you'd been with the organization. But I had been with the organization. So people knew me, the executive team knew me, but I was sort of a new member, right? The new kid on the block when it came to membership of the, to the executive team. So, te- so what happened next? And you're, you're starting to have these like, oh my gosh, I think our CEO is there and maybe he's on one of these planes and I don't know and all this stuff. And then what? So, you know, we were hitting the phone. I had some team members of mine there. We were trying to get a hold of everyone that we could think of. We're trying to get a hold of our major offices. We also had individuals that were traveling into the U.S. They were inbound into the U.S. from 
our offices in London. And so we were trying to figure out, oh my gosh, you know what's going to happen to so-and-so because at some point the FAA, as you know, grounded all flights and closed the airspace to the United States, which these were unprecedented events, right? So once we were trying to just sort of try to locate everyone and have everybody check in to make sure we weren't missing any employees, then I, you know, a bunch of people in the office started basically leaving. And this is, you know, at a time when attendance to the office, I know this sounds strange today's time, was pretty much the rule, right? Uh, If you got a job, you were expected to be in the office five days a week, you know, not to say that we were clocking people in and out, but, you know, certain hours were expected. And so individuals started basically leaving or coming to me, asking me whether they could go home to be with their families, worried about relatives on the East Coast, worried about uh, friends and partners who were traveling, you know, all kinds of things. And uh, then I was faced with the question of, do we want to do we close the office? Do we excuse people from the office? So you came to a decision. Yes. Yeah, so the only people that were in the office at that time who had, there were no other members of the executive team in the office besides myself, but there was a VP of product development engineering who was there with me. And so the two of us got together and said, well, you know what? Um, people are going to leave no matter what. I think we should close the office. This is clearly a set of facts and a day in the life of our country that's unprecedented. And I think people need time to be with their families and reconnect and figure out what's up. So we both decided, let's, let's do that. Let's close, let's close HQ and close all offices and excuse everyone for the day. Yeah. I mean, you were talking earlier about a lot of HR decisions are common sense and this feels like one. Yeah. Yeah. Like the thing to do is to let people go be with their families, do what they need to do. It's very emotional. So that makes a lot of sense that you would make that decision. Absolutely. And it it felt like the right thing to do. And quite frankly, we weren't going to stand in front of the doors and forbid people from leaving. People were already leaving in droves because they just wanted to go pick up their kids. Like I said, it was an evolving situation. We didn't know, you know, the plane had not yet crashed in Pennsylvania. I think by then the plane that hit the Pentagon had already that ha- had already been um, broadcasted on TV, but we didn't know which uh, wh- where was the next attack. I mean, we were under attack as a country. So much fear and uncertainty. Yeah, and so then, <laughs> so you've made this decision. You feel good about it, I, and I suspect because I'm, I'm like put myself in your shoes. I mean, that's a lot for you to carry, right? There was this only one other executive there. So you were collaborating with him a bit, but I suspect you were also managing your team and a lot of emotions. Exactly. And at a time when we couldn't locate the CEO, we were trying to get a hold of him. We did not know where he was. We did not know if he was safe. The next sort of big executive, the, our head of sales, who was an SVP, was with our CEO wherever they were. They had been traveling together. So we, I couldn't, we couldn't get a hold of those, of those two individuals. And it was a pretty big decision, to, quite frankly, to close all offices worldwide for, for, the, for, for this particular reason. Uh, we did have an office in India. We had offices in Europe. We had offices everywhere. Yeah. So it was a big decision. You made the decision. 
So then how did, yeah, how did you start to engage other executives in the decision? As I said, we couldn't get a hold of anybody. Um, you know, none, none of the circuits were, were working in Troy. We tried, but we couldn't get a hold of anyone. And then, so what I did was send out an email that in light of the events of today, you know, we were shutting down the office for 24 hours and we'll see you tomorrow and be safe and go home and, and be with your families. So after that email went out, I got a call from our CFO who was en route to the office, who was very upset that a decision had been made to close down the company, um, especially by me. So he basically at that time told me, you don't have the authority to make that decision. And you know, you, we can't afford to have the offices closed for 24 hours. Sales needs to happen. People need to continue to develop the product, uh, all kinds of, all kinds of objections, which were, you know, valid objections. But in light of the events of, of the day, no one was going to be able to focus on anything. Let me tell you, um, that was the truth. And I think his objections were coming from, I'm not, at that point, I'm not quite sure he understood what was going on. He was driving in and was hearing some snippets updates on the radio, but had not really kept up with the events. Yeah. And that's what's really interesting. I mean, this is such a great leadership lesson and I know your story continues, but I just, I think of seeking to understand and how important and just what if he had asked you a question like, Hey, Valerie, catch me up. Tell me what led to the decision, right? He didn't do that. It sounds like he immediately attacked you with like, how dare you? You don't have the authority. Oh my gosh, that must have been really hard for you to hear. Right. It was very hard for me to hear, especially given the fact that, you know, I was not the only one to make that decision. I had another VP with me who felt like, you know what, this is the right thing to do. And we didn't, it wasn't a knee jerk reaction. It was not a uh, spontaneous decision. It was a very thoughtful, measured appraisal of what was going on both outside of the company and inside the company on that day. And, you know, we had people, like I said, we had people domiciled in New York uh, that we could not locate. And it just didn't feel right to not allow people to just go home and be with their loved ones at that time, given the momentous impact of the event. And you're right, he didn't first seek to understand. So there were no questions. It was just instantaneous. How dare you? What are you doing? This is not the right thing to do. And, you know, funny enough, after he did get into the office, I told him, you know what, why don't you just, where are you? He told me I'm on my way to the office. Great. Why don't you just come to the office and we can have a conversation when you're in the office? I figured that he probably would get the measure of the the gravity of the situation if he was in the building at that point, because you could definitely, there was this atmosphere of fear. People were packing up and talking to their loved ones when they could get a hold of them. And it just was going to be a ghost town no matter what. But that's, I want to talk about your response because it's, it is such a calm, collected response that you didn't rationalize, you didn't justify, you didn't come back to him with like, are you kidding me? Like, Valerie, please teach me how to respond in the way that you responded. (laughs) (laughs) You're funny. You're funny. Well, I never, I have never found that, you know, taking a defensive position and trying to explain yourself is ever successful when you're in that kind of situation. And I wanted to take a break and collect my thoughts, to be honest. 
so that I could tell him, you know, here's what happened. Here's how we did it. Here's how I talked to, you know, this other VP. Here's what we decided to do. I wanted to have some time to sort of, you know, be calm in my mind because I don't know about you, but when I'm under attack like that, I don't tend to think very well. So I want to always sort of, if I have the opportunity to take a breath and a moment to collect my thoughts, I take it. And so that gave you, that gave you some time to do that while he was finishing his drive-in. Right. And and funny enough, by the time he got in, I don't know if he was for some reason not listening to the news, maybe on the way in and just saw this, you know, this email and it was out of context and he didn't even know what was going on in the world, which, which I think is partially true. But yeah, exactly. I, by the time he got in, it, we had a very different conversation. You did. Tell me about that. Like, how did that go? So I told him, listen, here's what happened. Here's how things were when I got into the office after the first plane had already hit. While we were watching it on TV in the break room, the second place hit and then people started panicking. And, you know, by the way, I can't get hold of the CEO. I can't get hold of our head of sales. Would you happen to know where they are? And he was also in the dark about their location. And it, it was clear to him, given the state of play in the U.S., which is where we had the majority of employees at that point, that nobody was going to pay attention to their work. And then people needed to go pick up their kids at daycare and be together with their families as we were waiting for the next shoe to drop. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. So he he clearly came to it himself that, oh, yeah, this is bad. And there's a lot of fear. and. I mean, did he, did he actually acknowledge that Valerie, you made a good decision? No. (laughs) Darn it. I was so hoping (laughs) he would have this remarkable turnaround and realize the error of his ways. (laughs) But you know what? Um, But despite that, we continued to work together for many, many years. And I consider him to be a friend and I consider him to be a great mentor for me. He taught me a lot of different things about, you know, uh, the finance architecting of businesses that I wouldn't have had the privilege of learning if he hadn't, you know, had the patience to teach me. So all of that turned out to be just fine. Our relationship turned out to be a great one, actually. So what is the, like, what's the title of this story? I mean, how, what is the, the important leadership lesson for you in this story? I think it's, you know, to make the best decision that you can make with as much data as you have at the time and to not be afraid to, to make it when you think it's the right thing to do because you will know what the right thing to do is. And, and that's to, you know, to just when somebody calls you on the carpet for it, to just have the confidence to say, you know what, here's how I made that decision. Here's what was happening. Here's who I consulted with. And yes, maybe you would have made a different decision or maybe you would have made it later. You know, I had to make it. And so I made it. Yeah. So there's definitely like a standing your ground. I mean, there there was never for you, there was, I mean, you were never going to reverse the decision. That wouldn't have even made sense to do that. No, no, we we wouldn't have had the opportunity. The cat was sort of proverbially out of the bag. But you also didn't apologize for making the decision, right? I mean, never did you say like, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. No, I, I didn't apologize because I didn't think that I did anything wrong. And And like I said, we made the best decision at that time with the data that we had. 
And so that's, that's, I think, a really important point. So that allowed you to stay calm, no doubt, through that process. And you knew because of the data that you had, you knew or you suspected that he would get there on his own when he saw what was happening. Exactly. Yeah. Is this someone, I'm curious about your relationship leading up to this event. I mean, is it someone that you felt intimidated by that? I mean, it sounds like he had has a, had a very strong personality. Oh yeah. Very strong personality. Very smart man. Very much more experienced than I was. And you know, uh, in all the, this was our CFO in all, all companies, CFOs have a lot of power. So he had a lot of power and he leveraged that. And he leveraged it to, you know, in, in a good way, most of the time. I mean, I don't think I had any objections to any of the directions or, the recommendations that he made on the executive team. I just, I was actually quite surprised to have him call me and, and sort of pull rank. This was a, a very strange way to approach this situation. Right. But did you ever talk? I mean, so he didn't apologize and say you were right, but did he ever acknowledge the situation afterwards? Yeah, he didn't apologize. I don't remember him apologizing, but I can tell you that, you know, the decision was not it was not discussed further later on and was never brought up as oh you remember the time when you did that and you didn't have the authority to do it <laughs> so i think that he he sort of you know apologized in a in a passive way by basically acknowledging oh okay you know i understand and we are where we are and, and it's okay kind of thing but you know there was no apology yeah well, and like you said, I mean, you he continued to mentor and be a big support for you throughout your tenure there. You learned a lot from him. So you, so you did have a relationship, a good relationship. Yeah, a very good relationship with him. Oh my goodness. So good. If you could go back now to that situation, it, like anything that you would have done differently? I might have tried to call him. <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, had you thought about that? Yeah, yeah. My thought went immediately to the CEO and the head of sales, and I kind of just—I mean, you under stress, things were rapidly evolving and changing. You're talking about events that took place over what a, a period of what two hours, two and a half hours, and so you just—and it's so unbelievable, right? Because I remember driving in and hearing on the news that a plane had hit the tower. Uh, the World Trade Center Tower in New York and thought to myself, wait a second, is this, this is not April Fool's Day, right? I thought it was a joke initially when I first heard it on the news. And then when I got in and I saw it on the news, on the picture and, you know, that big gaping hole in the building thinking this is a private jet, a small plane, really? And then to just, it was so just unbelievable. Nobody had ever seen that before, right? I mean, and then to watch that second plane hit the other tower, it was, you felt like you were on a different planet. Is this a movie? You know, did I wake up this morning? Am I dreaming? It just, it, it was so unbelievable and surreal. And by the time I finally left the office, which was around 1130 noon, when I could have accounted for as many people as I could, and we had finally located our CEO, I remember driving home and there were on 880 South towards the South Bay, there were flags. There was like actually just one. There was this very large American flag on one of the overpass. And I remember tearing up. It was just one of those moments. And there were 
there were nobody, there's nobody on the freeway. And passing by San Jose Airport and looking over at the runways, there were all kinds of planes just parked whichever way, everywhere, all over the airport, not at gates, on the tarmac, on the, on the, you know, everywhere, because they had grounded aircrafts at that point. And it was such a surreal picture. It just was very weird. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it just takes me back immediately. I just, I, I remember that the, a lot of the feelings that you described, just not even having any context for anything like that, you know, almost like not knowing what to do or think because it was so, so, un, so unexpected and out of nowhere. And now we're kind of living this sort of unexpected world all the time, right? On a, on a, on a smaller scale, right? Reopen the office, don't reopen the office allow people to re work remotely full-time, not allow people to work remotely full-time, hybrid, no hybrid, what kind of hybrid? So think about how helpful your lessons are. I mean, the things that you shared with us today, I mean, just making the best decision you can at the moment with the data that you have, you know, and moving forward with that. And always prioritizing, you know, the culture, basically. We had a really great culture at that company of being very collaborative and team oriented and employee employee friendly and you know not closing the office when something like this happened and expecting people to work would have been completely counterculture and would have left a really strange taste in our employees mouth about oh you want to prior you know you keep saying we're we know we're the first priority our employees are our first priority but you don't want to send me home on a day like this Love that. Well, and that's why, Valerie, I'm so glad that you didn't call him because I suspect he may not have prioritized the culture like you did. Exactly. I think he would have made a different decision and probably come to reverse himself within a half hour. He was leading with dollars, right? He was leading with dollars. You were leading with culture. Exactly. In a sense, we were both doing our jobs. That could be the title, leading with culture. We were both doing our jobs. We're just coming in from different perspective. And, and I think he would have probably, you know, if he had been in charge, he probably would not have closed down the office as early as I did, but he probably would have reached that conclusion literally half an hour later. Yeah. When he saw it for himself. Well, this has been so helpful. I, and I just, I want to reiterate again, like in all seriousness, just the, the power that you hold when you don't react you know, you said taking a defensive position is never helpful in those kinds of situations. And I think that's such an important takeaway is just the power of, because you had made a decision from data, it was the best information you, you had gathered as much information as you could made the best decision possible. And so you didn't, you didn't have to justify that. <laughs> I mean, you stood on that. I'm really, really grateful for that. Because I think on some level, the power of your decision loses credibility if you try to defend it in a way that looks like you are now second-guessing yourself. That's really good. Yeah, let it go. Valerie, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, we're all better for it. So thank you for that. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Will you have my name spelled out somewhere on, on this? Yeah, we will. Valerie Younger. J-U-N-G-E-R. And I'm currently with Quantcast. If you're looking to verify that I'm the right Valerie Younger, there's not that many of I think I'm the only one on, on LinkedIn, seriously, with that name. 
that's the best way to reach me. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.